Hi, my name is Persephone Waxman. Uh, I'm a trainer and educator by trade, and I'm a trans woman. My pronouns are she, they. And I am a big lover of music. Right behind me is a massive vinyl collection that I've been collecting basically all over my life. And in front of me is my also insanely large DVD and film collection, because I'm also a big film buff as well. This is To Be A Man, a podcast that explores the experience of masculinity through the lens of different people. I'm Gemma, and I made this episode with Persephone on Bundjalung Country in northern New South Wales. I'd like to offer my respects to the rightful owners of these lands and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. Just a heads up, this episode contains discussions of homophobia and transphobia and the use of explicit language. I'm in my bedroom in Kenorigan on Bundjalung Country in northern New South Wales. Persephone, you're in your lounge room in Nam in Melbourne? Yes. What do you use this room for? Um, so this is mainly where <laughs> I sit on the couch as a couch potato, um, playing my newly purchased PlayStation 5, which nearly bankrupted me, which is excellent. But there's also my mirror in the corner of the room, which is where I sit down and get ready for all of my nights as a trans woman. Um, it's a lovely routine. I do my shower. I moisturize my face. I try to shave my face as, as down to the bone as I can. I can't Oof. always do it. Um, <laughs> do you cut yourself? I still cut my leg shaving. Oh, I cut my face all the time. It sucks. Um, <laughs> I sit in front of my tall mirror and do my makeup and uh, tuck myself before I go out. Okay. And like, what is tucking yourself? Do you have to wear something special? I'll give you a full definition. It's essentially um, putting your penis in a place and, and your testicles and balls as well um, in a place that makes it look like you have a feminine crotch. So that usually includes pulling your, your dick back into your butt cheeks uh, and taping it so that your butt has the same set, uh, shape as it usually does and that your penis is hidden. That can be really dangerous because um, your penis was not designed to be where your butt is. Um, and there's lots of bacteria where your butt is. Um, so you can introduce a lot of gross things. So people usually put a tissue underneath, um, and then tape it up so that it sticks, but it's very, I find it personally very uncomfortable. Um, so I usually get a pair of slightly too small underwear, pull it back, put the underwear on, and there's usually enough tension that it leads, leaves enough room that the crotch looks smaller. Um, but I probably would never go to the lengths of using tape because there's hair there as well and you'd have to rip the tape off mm. every time. Surely that would make doing a wee tricky. Uh, yeah, you have to untuck every time you have to go to the bathroom. And I, viewers cannot see, have a 2.2 litre bottle of water that I drink uh, most days. So I need to piss all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your makeup routine look like when you're going out? Um, so a lot of trans girls like to wear concealer to conceal the five o'clock shadows, which is something that I cannot escape. Listeners don't know, but I have uh, naturally black hair uh, and that shows under the skin, under the follicles usually, because it's quite thick black hair. Um, so I usually have a five o'clock shadow all the time that I can't get rid of. And I don't think I can bother creating a concealer and foundation routine. I don't think I care that much. 
Um, I'm actually going through the stages of electrolysis at the moment, which is removing hair from the root, but that takes a couple a couple years nearly. So I personally like to do my makeup as, as naturalist. I like naturalist. Um, I usually just put a, a bunch of mascara and eyeliner on just to make my eyes pop and lipstick. That's usually it. And what's your go-to getting ready tune? Um, I actually have a playlist. Maybe we can link. Um, it's a playlist that I've created that embodies the mood of the Ubers here in five minutes. We have to get ready right now. Um, so there's lots of like hard hitting songs um, for like, fuck, okay, we got to get ready. The Uber's nearly here and I have to skull my drink. That's the mood I go for. How do you identify your gender? I'm a trans woman. My pronouns are she, they. Um, I've been on hormone replacement therapy for nearly three months now. And what's one really cool fact about my HRT journey is that my birthday uh, is a week before my HRT birthday, which I'll be celebrating on the 28th of September every year going forward. Um, My real birthday is nine days before that. Um, So I get double birthdays now, which is awesome. True. Is that two star signs? No, it's still just Virgo, Virgo. Exactly. Double Virgo. (laughs) Can you tell me a little bit about what that journey has been like for you? Well, Jeremy, you've actually a little bit of a part of the journey because I did write um, a piece for your online publication, Anakilic, kind of as one of the big um, realization moments on my journey. Finding my womanhood 23 years later. It was beautiful. Yeah, exactly. But the journey has been long. Um, I think what a lot of people don't know, especially maybe potentially cisgendered people don't understand, is that the trans journey is really long and winding Mm. and it it can sometimes hit you in an instant, but when it hits you in that instant, um, you actually realize that it's been there all along. So the journey has been has been long, um, but it really only kind of kickstarted this year when I became much more aware of of myself and my identity. I moved out of home for the first time at the start of the year, so I just had also been in lockdown for a big portion of 2021. So for that reason, you just kind of cook away with yourself. You sit in your own broth, really, for a, for a short while. You get to know yourself a lot a lot better. And being my own person, um, being in a really lovely relationship as well with someone that educates me on gender identities often also really helped. So it was always there. The transness was always kind of behind the curtain. I just kind of had to reveal it, so to speak, and that kind of really kick-started this year. Okay. I'm going to wind it back to your childhood. When you were little, I guess you were identifying as a little boy, what expectations were there around being a man and around expressing masculinity when you were growing up? My home life was quite gender neutral. There wasn't any real intense gendered expectations on me. My parents are very, very supportive of my gender identity. Um, But even then, I don't really think they were pushing me into a certain corner of of masculinity. Um, Nothing was forced onto me. Mm -hmm. I actually love, love looking back on photos of myself, particularly between the ages of about one and eight, 
and the fashion sense, because obviously I wasn't dressing myself, my mum was, was fabulous. I'd wear some of that stuff now. In terms of interest as well, sports wasn't particularly pushed on me when I said I didn't like it. My parents, you know, slightly disappointed, but weren't, you know, going to force me to do football or, football or else. I always loved them. musical theatre, video games, movies and music as well. And there wasn't any kind of policing as to what music I had to listen to, particularly in my TV taste, I think is is something that was policed the least um, and perhaps for the better because um, I watched Totally Spies, Powerpuff Girls, um, was inspired by a lot of really awesome um, female superheroes and TV shows from that period too. So in terms of uh, home life, I don't think there was any expectation at all, mm. um, which is kind of lovely. School was a whole entire different kind of kettle of fish. Um, a lot of policing of lots of um, gendered ideas. Um, you always split up into groups of boys and girls. Mm. So was your friend group exclusively male when you were little? <laughs> no, no. And this is the thing that's been uh, uh, um, there through my entire life. I've always been one of the girls mm. when my friendship group actually in terms of gender um was actually like a really good mix it was almost like a episode of saved by the bell or something <laughs> but yeah a lot of the gendered expectations obviously came from school school uniforms uh having to do boys sport after school every day you couldn't do mixed sports if you wanted to getting towards the end of high school as well my school had a debutante which now love love I, I love this um is a gender neutral debutante which is lovely um all the gendered expectations are stripped from it um so there's no disgusting christian thing with it where um you're not debuting women anymore which i think is great and then yeah i guess through formals as well there was a general expectation that you had to come dressed as a, a certain way um i probably wouldn't have been caught dead wearing a dress going to formal but if there were different expectations on gender and gender identity, maybe it would have been completely different. Yeah, you might have felt more liberated to be able to wear whatever you wanted. Yeah, I didn't even consider it. I didn't know it was an option at all. And that's probably what it comes down to. Especially when I was at school, you couldn't even have thought that it was possible for someone who was assigned male at birth to rock up to something in a dress or wear makeup if they wanted to. Mm. Did you feel like you ever had to modify your behaviour to be more masculine when you were little because of social ramifications? Yeah, definitely. Um, sports was the big one. I had to learn learn how to talk about sports because all of the male-dominated activities was usually having drinks for the grand final or going to the footy um, or watching the Ashes test cricket. In those environments, you know, I was probably wanting to talk about the latest single that the Arctic Monkeys had dropped or I wanted to talk about like the latest film that I was really enjoying but everyone was like no shut up we're watching the cricket or watching the footy we have to talk about footy and sports and stuff so I kind of I guess pulled back what I wanted to talk about and learnt from my environment and started to talk about what things boys are supposed to talk about I had to modify not only what I talked about um, but the way I talked as well and this is probably the biggest um, scar I have from this. And this is my talking voice, the voice I have right now. I probably had to pitch my voice down a little bit, talk in a bit more of a loud, 
way because if I, you know, if I rocked up to everything and in the sports things talking exactly like this, I probably would have been ostracized and people would say, oh, that's a gay voice you're using. One of the things that I have accidentally taken away from this is, is having a pitch, a deeper pitched voice because I think it was kind of like sink or swim with it. Uh, if you wanted to talk to other guys, you have to talk like one of the bros. The hormones that you're taking, do they have any impact on vocal cords? Not at all. If you're a assigned male at birth person and you're, you're taking hormones, the, really the main thing that's not affected is your voice. Vocal training is, is some things most trans women have to partake in. And I'm learning quite a bit. Um, and when you're going through puberty with, with boys, your voice just drops. Like a sack of potatoes, it just drops down and you have no choice around it. And that's why you get all the squeaking um, voice cracks. I'm pretty sure it's irreversible unless you have surgery, but that's invasive and probably very painful. Um, so you can just train yourself. And the training really just involves changing the way your vocal cords work, which sounds like a lot, but once you get it, it's really fun. Okay, cool. When did your expression of gender start to get a little bit more fluid? When did you start to feel curious about expressing yourself as a woman and safe enough to start doing so? Um, it was actually like the end of high school, muck-up day, when I was leaving school. Do you know what I mean when I say shit kit? I grew up in Queensland. I've got no idea. Um, okay. <laughs> um, so shit kit is like dress that's purposely like rugged and not good. You rock up in the shit kit and you wear um, like baggy clothes, like granny sweater. But my shit kit was elegantly made. Um, it was symmetrical. As, as even though I tried my hardest to look like gross and shit, it, turned, it was actually like a, a really, really nice outfit. Um, I had mismatching shoes, but in the, the mismatch was actually matching. You know what I mean? Like, a, like asymmetrical beauty. It all looked really nice. And um, it just was such a, a queer looking outfit. It was just so flamboyant and fantastic and fabulous. And just wearing that and walking around wearing that, I felt really nice because in a lot of costume parties I went to that year, and this is the, the trans thing in the back of your brain kind of trying to get out, I used to only dress up as a greaser from like Greece. So I just get a leather jacket and a white shirt and jeans and slick my hair back. And I thought that was, you know, if I don't put any effort into it, um, no one will know that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, if I chose another theme, it would probably look too gay. It would look too queer. I don't want to come off as too queer. So I'll pick the straightest, most masculine thing I can find. And I pick the greaser every time. Um, so I never knew what it feels like to dress up all fabulous until I put on the shit kit and <laughs> looked all fabulous and, and stuff. That was probably one of the main ones. True. Probably the most recent one was that I was just on a train or I was driving home from something and I was just like, I want to wear a dress. It was, it was as, it was as sudden and as, as um, dram uh, it wasn't dramatic. It was as normal as that. I was like, I want to wear a dress. So I had work um, in the city a couple of days after I went to Dangerfield, I picked up a dress. I went home, I tried it on. I was like, oh, this is great. And then from then on, I guess I just really like wearing dresses. I really wish it was, it was more interesting than that, but that's really it. Okay. And what was that experience like of wearing a dress in public for the first time? 
it just felt oh, it just felt so normal. Again, Shamar, I really wish I could give you a amazing story of walking out on the train feeling like some brand new person that just felt really normal, which I think is is really important for some people to know that being trans sometimes is not kind of reaching a, a new plane. It's actually returning to normalcy sometimes. Mm. It's the feeling of returning to something, feeling right for once instead of transcendental. You just want it to feel nice and normal. Uh, so the only thing about wearing dresses in public now is I'm not, I'm, I can't spread my legs on the train, um, which is something I really hate um, because uh, as, as much as I, I am not a man anymore, I am an intense man spreader. It is the worst. I'm doing it right now as we speak. True. Are there any <laughs> other like traditionally masculine behaviors and stances and things you do with your hands that you're starting to unlearn? I was actually literally just thinking about this today. So I had um, a class at gym today. I, I do CrossFit. Um, it's like a mix of, of strength and conditioning. I usually do like half an hour of one thing and half an hour of the other. Um, and I've been thinking about this for ages. I grunt insanely when I do strength exercises at gym. I am a grunter. You know, I, I make all the noises. I go like do the heaving and the those all those kind of noises. And I'm here wearing a crop top and bike shorts, trying to look as femme as possible to see the weight <laughs> over my head. And I'm yelling like Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. That is something I'm definitely trying to unlearn um, because it just does not does not fit. <laughs> um, in terms of other things, I'm not sure if there's actually too many others. You see, I haven't really all my life been the best man I can be. That's why it was so easy to transition. Um, I really have not been the... Um, golden standard for masculinity most of my life at all. What communities are you part of now? Yeah, so I really mostly surround myself with only queer people um, at the moment. Um, a lot of my closest friends um, are non-binary um, or they're bi as well. So my, my partner's non-binary as well. That really helps with lots of things. They're very intelligent and they, they know a lot about gender identity and politics and sociology and psychology. So we um, get to have lots of conversations about lots and lots of different things. Um, and it was very helpful to have that kind of person to kind of show me the way a little bit and show me what my feelings meant and things like that. Can you tell me a little bit about that relationship? Like, where did you meet? Uh, yeah, so that's funny. Um, we met online, as all great people do. Um, we actually met in an appreciation group uh, for a band we both really like, um, Ballpark Music, and became friends, pretty fast friends. Um, and we started a meme page together dedicated <laughs> to Ballpark Music. Um, and just over time, got really friendly. I went over and visited in Adelaide because that's where they live. Um, and the rest is kind of history. Cool. That's so exciting. Yeah. Um, can you tell me about some of the differences that you're finding in the way people perceive you now that you are living as a woman instead of living as a man? Yeah. Um, so one of the main ones, and I'm not sure if this, what this is, lots of people are staring more uh, when I walk past. I'm not sure if that's them trying to clock me or if it's them just completely blinded by my beauty. I'm not sure which one it is. No, um, I'm finding a lot more, yes, yeah, stares, 
people looking, um, things like that. At my gym, and I don't know if this is also because I'm incredibly slow, I'm noticing two, uh, <laughs> not quite mansplaining, but man interventions. They'll, I'll go to pick a weight up off the floor and they'll be like, no, 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 I'll grab that. And I'll pick it up for me and take it over, which is like, okay, that's very kind of you. Thank you, sir. Um, <laughs> it's very kind of them. I love your gentle patronizing, not quite patronizing. I don't even know what it is, but it's just good. Keep doing it. Um, which is kind of nice. I didn't want to carry the weight anyway, so that's fine. Uh, I think I'm noticing before with the costume parties when I was in my teenage years, I just didn't want to put effort in. Again, what if I come off as gay or what if I come off as too fabulous or something? And now I just put all my effort into looking as, as hot and fabulous as possible. Um, so that translates to people mm. noticing me more, wanting to give more compliments and things like that, which is really, which is really lovely. Mm. Do you find in your life, have you ever been stereotyped by other people? Well, I, yeah, I think I was always at school, especially just labeled as, as one of the, the gay queer kids. I wasn't out. Yeah, I used to be terrified of being um, labelled as queer or gay by someone um, because you thought it was a scary thing, but now that you've lived it, you're like, fuck yeah, of course I'm gay and queer. I love that. Call it, call me gay and queer again. I love that shit. Basically, my entire identity now is embracing the stereotypes that I used to be labelled with. Um, so really, really doubling down on all the stereotypes is the best thing I can do, really. <laughs> um, because uh, some of the stereotypes are put there by, mostly put there by people who are not gay, who are not queer, who are not trans. Um, so may as well embrace them and just don't take anything to heart. Um, just go for it. Mm. Be as fabulous as you want to be, I guess. Mm, absolutely. Um when you were living as a boy and a man, what did you find most challenging about that gender identity? Um, uh, and this this is something I definitely unlearned um, and I didn't really understand what it meant at the moment. I hated being lumped in with men, <laughs> which, again, makes total sense. Of course you're trans. But I hated being lumped in with men, especially during movements like the... Um, you know, like the not all men movement. I used to be like, yeah, not all mm. men because me, I'm, I'm nice and a good person and I don't do awful things. It can't be all men. Um, but yeah, it, it is all men. You have to unlearn and you have to learn a lot of things to understand why people are saying that. Um, but at the time I thought, no, that doesn't include me, which it doesn't as we now know. Um, but that was one thing I really didn't like. Yeah, was being was being lumped in with everyone else, and in the same token, I really yeah did not like having to double down on all the male stereotypes. Um, being into sport, having to um, be into cars and stuff. I don't care about that. I just want to <laughs> drive places with my car. I don't care about anything else. Um, so. Yeah, playing, uh, I guess I really hated playing the part mm. so much. I just wanted to not have to play that character anymore, uh, which I now don't. It was so tiring. <laughs> it's like being a, being an actor 24-7. Even Hollywood mm. actors get a break. They get, to do, they get to go to a trailer and take the makeup off and have a, have a break, but 
when it's you and that's the way that people expect you to be, it's 24-7. It's tiring. Mm, mm. Interesting what you said about not wanting to be lumped in with all men because a few conversations that I've had with cishet men about the challenges around being male and they've sort of expressed a similar sentiment. They're sort of like, oh, we, we want to move towards a world without gender. And I'm kind of like, yes, I fully see where you're coming from. But at the same time, like if you want to liberate yourself from the gender order, that that is so fabulous, go for it. But there is still so much structural inequality that needs to be addressed. Yeah, this is a this is a massive issue with AMAB people being assigned male at birth who come not Baku. They start identifying with that area and they think they're absolved of everything just because they identify as non-binary. Uh, and that is definitely not the case. You can't just strip yourself of your masculinity and manhood and expect all the problems <laughs> to go away because that just is not how the world works and that's not how gender identity works. You have to do the unlearning, understand your privilege as a coming from a being assigned male at birth and moving on to another identity. Um, you do have to really definitely do some learning and talk to women and get a better understanding before you just think you can drop everything and pretend like nothing happened. Mm, that is such a great answer. Thank you. Mm, that's okay. On that note, what is your journey into feminism looking like? Like how are you going like embracing feminism now that you are a woman as well? Um, I always like to think that I was very much a feminist before I transitioned. Yeah, I, I feel like it's it's much easier for me now to argue for women as a woman now than it is to argue as a as a man. Because um, sometimes, yeah, it really feels like you're kind of talking about something that's not your business when you're a dude kind of talking out about talking up about feminism, um, which it obviously is your business. Men supporting women is, is awesome. But um, yeah, just sometimes feels like uh, you're talking over women or you're, you're talking too loudly. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's something that you do have to unlearn when you're moving over to the space that you don't suddenly start talking over women still as a woman, kind of give everyone the right amount of space, um, make sure you're lifting up voices of people of colour and um, other women as well. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm basically doing the same, um, just with a bit more understanding of, I guess, what, what um, things are being fought for and um, better understanding of giving other people a platform. Mm. What does healthy masculinity and being a safe and respectful person look like? It, it, it is a tough thing to answer because I, I think there are a lot of forms of, of healthy masculinity out there and they come in different shapes and sizes. I just, I just think it's the number one thing really is, is respecting women and non-binary people. It's just coming at everything with respect, not coming at everything with <laughs> I want to hump it um, personally. <laughs> um, coming at everything first with respect. Um, I think a big problem with masculinity is the almost the devious, evil nature of it. It's like meeting people um, with seemingly the intention to be loving and respectful and kind, but having in the back of your mind, I'm going to fuck this person mm. or I want to do sexual acts to this person 
that can sometimes seep through relationships that men have with women. Um, the inherent need to sexualize someone is not healthy in anyone, uh, but especially with men, you have to really make that voice shut up, <laughs> put it in the back of your head, put it in a prison in the back of your mind, come at everything with a sense of love and respect um, for people. Because I feel like that's where all the nasty things take a turn is when it, it seems like you're coming at everything with kindness and respect, but you're really not. Um, so I think, yeah, healthy, healthy men and healthy masculinity is, is, is really just putting respect and love first. So that, you know, permeates itself in being like a love, loving father, um, a loving brother and sibling to other people as well. Just putting kindness before violence as well because it's so um men just love their violence i love violence too sometimes i love playing like violent games or watching horror movies and stuff um but kind of packing away the violence um if someone arcs up to you and you're out at a bar and everyone's drinking and someone says something not putting your fist first talking about it first grabbing instead of grabbing the guy by the shoulder and socking him in the face grab him by the shoulder and ask hey why are you yelling at me like this? Why are we having an argument? Actually talking things through. Because when you use your fists first, you're not going to get anywhere. If you actually talk about stuff and sit down with each other and go, hey, I'm feeling really awful. Lockdown has been really terrible. I've been having all these thoughts. Um, you talk about it and it's out there. And you actually have a conversation. Um, but if you scream and shout, punch a wall, hurt other people, it's, it's not going to get you anywhere. You've just listened to episode five of To Be A Man. If my conversation with Persephone brought anything up for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 for suicide prevention services, mental health support and emotional assistance, QLife on 1800 184 527 for LGBTIQA peer support and referrals, 1800RESPECT on 1800 737 732 for counselling and support for people impacted by sexual assault and family and domestic violence, and Men's Line Australia on 1300 789 987.